0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Uh, Luke 11 is where we're going to be uh, tonight, in Luke 11, and I've got a couple more messages in on prayer and. Uh, just decided to kind of come back to this passage, to this text, uh, as, and, and ask maybe maybe almost a continuation of last week and ask an app, a question or go to an application of what we uh, talked about last week. Luke 11, and we'll, be, we'll, we'll read this parable again, um, but we'll start in verse 1. Let's go ahead and stand. Luke, Luke number 11, and uh, we'll read in verse 1. And then read down through verse 13. I'd like to read responsively. I think that kind of engages everybody and, and uh, we see how, how unified we really are when you do that. And so I'll read verse 1 if you'll read verse 2. I'll read 3, you read 4, and so on. And we'll finish out. Um, we'll go through verse 13. So here we go. Verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place... When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Give us day by day our daily bread. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine and he from within shall answer and say, I'm asleep, go away. No, trouble me not. That's kind of my interpretation of this. Trouble me not, the door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. and 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 I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Let's read verse 13 together. Here we go. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Thank you for standing out of respect of God's word. You can be seated. Last week in our our series, Teach Us to Pray, we covered this parable out of Luke 11 from Jesus Christ. And it's teaching about a man who comes to his friend And he comes late at night and he's asking for bread to feed an unexpected guest. So as you can imagine, being woken up in the middle of the night by a friend or anybody who needs bread, it's not very convenient. And that's not what a man would prefer to do if he's fast asleep. It's not the the ideal choice. If you're in the middle of, of rest, if you're in the middle of sleeping, and back then the houses would have been shaped so much that... The, the families were likely to be sleeping all in the same room, and so if dad gets up, then everybody gets up, and who knows how long they had taken to put one of the children to bed that night. You never know what the situation is, but this is not convenient, and actually, the spiritual word that I used last week to describe this might be annoying. This could have been annoying. It could have been one of those things where, you know, it costs you as a friend, and and you don't really want to do it, but the friend in the house says, basically, that he is not, this isn't convenient, this wouldn't be his choice, but because of importunity. Does anybody remember what importunity means from last week? And I'll take it from the, anybody remember? Shamelessly persistent, yes. Shameless persistence, that's importunity. Where someone has no shame, they have no thought about how they're inconveniencing someone, They're just shamelessly, persistently knocking, knocking, knocking and not letting go of it. So because of the shameless persistence, because of the importunity, then the friend inside, even if it wakes his children up, even if it's inconvenient, he gets up and he provides the bread for his friend. And though a lot of people would then say that this text has something to teach us uh, about uh, not giving up when we pray... I believe the lesson learned from this parable is really less about the guy knocking outside the door and it's more about the friend inside the house. This, this says less about how our approach to prayer should be and it's really more about the person, the man and his response inside the house. You see, Jesus ends the parable with this thought, if you if you have a human friend who is capable of evil... I mean, as a human friend, human beings, we are capable of some pretty low-level stuff. And so if a human friend inside the house is willing to get up and inconvenience himself for a friend, how much more will your perfect and loving Heavenly Father meet your needs? I mean, if, if we as human beings know at times that we need to meet a need and we take a step to do that how much more can we trust our Heavenly Father uh, And in the process of prayer? It's not because we're persistent, and it's not because we're determined, um, but because we have a how-much-more kind of a Father. He's a Father that wants to take care of our needs, and, and I'm thankful for that thought because there are many religions out there that, that paint a picture of God like, like we're serving a tyrant. They paint the picture of God that he's mean and that he's heavy handed and uh, they, they paint a picture of God like he's Scrooge, that, that he's a taskmaster who's never satisfied and, and we can't please him and he wants us to be miserable, he wants us to live miserable lives and he wants to take all the fun out of it. He's a Scrooge kind of a God. Uh, we have others that, in, that they believe that God is almost like a state trooper. And you know there's state troopers and they, they, they park in certain places where you can't see them Till you're right on top of it, and that adrenaline rushes through your body and you slam on your brakes, which makes you look especially guilty. That's what at least that's what I do. You know, that you come around the corner and there he is, and a lot of people they view God like he's the state trooper and he's just he's just ready to nab us, and he's just waiting till you know we come around the corner and he's mean and merciless and we operate out of fear. That's but that's, friend, that's the opposite picture that Christ paints about God. That's the opposite picture. He's a father who how much more he is not bothered by the needs of his children. And and I believe that Christ's main application for us in this passage is that we can pray to our heavenly father with confidence when we realize what he's like. Folks, you can pray to your father with confidence. You can pray to your father knowing that he's not like the man inside the house saying, I'm trying to sleep here. Would you just go away and don't bother me? Come back in the morning. No, that's not how God is. God, our Father, wants to meet our needs. We can pray with confidence. We we have a loving Father who wants to meet our needs, and that should create in us an incredible amount of confidence. But tonight, I want to follow up last week's message with some more application here. See, there's another thought that springs out of the exhortation to pray with confidence. And I think some of us might struggle with this at times. Some of us may ask the, ask the question. We may, we may say, I, well, I have confidence in God as my father, but what effect does my prayer truly have on God if he's sovereign? I, I have confidence in God as my father, but what effect does my prayer really have on God as the sovereign king of the universe? And maybe you've never thought that before, but I have. You know, one of the traits we talked about in the model prayer is the sovereignty of God. When, when Jesus Christ told the disciples in Matthew 6 to pray and say, Thine is the kingdom, it was a reference to God's rule as king. It was a reference to God's sovereignty. He is the king. And when we pray, we're supposed to express that God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. And it's good for us to pray that because we need to be reminded of that. I don't know if, it, if, if it's this way for you, but I can go through my week uh, almost assuming as if the world revolves around me. I mean, I make the, I'm making decisions and I'm doing what I need to do. And in some ways, I almost forget my place in the universe. And I know that's a terrible thing for a pastor to admit. But as a transparent human being here tonight, sometimes I get that way. I live my life like I'm the one that's really in charge. So it's good for me, like, like Jesus Christ told us to, to pray, thine is the kingdom, because it aligns us back to where we're supposed to be. I mean, that thought helps us to submit. He is sovereign and we are not. He's the king. God rules and reigns over all things for his glory and for the glory of his pe- and for the good of his people. But we also understand, though, that we're to bring our petitions to God as our loving father. Are you seeing the conflict here? That no, he is sovereign and what he says goes and he, he has all these plans, but he's also our father and we can bring our needs to him. This, this starts to create a conflict. It starts to create... A contrast, he's our father, but he's our king. And we can think, well, I know God is my father and I know he cares and he wants to meet my needs, but if God is sovereign, if he has ordained the details of my life, not just for today, but for tomorrow and for my future, then why should I pray? I mean, Jesus Christ even said in Matthew 6, before the instruction on prayer, Jesus Christ said, for your father knoweth What things ye have need of before ye ask him? He already knows our needs. He already knows what we're going to ask. And and, and, and I look at a verse like Romans 8, and if Romans 8 says that all things work together for good to them that love God according to his purpose, then what is the purpose of my prayer life? I've thought this before. If God's will is already set, what is my prayer effect? His way is best, so why would I try to change his way? I mean, these are just thoughts that we have about prayer. At least I do. When I think about prayer, sometimes I'm thinking, how effective is it? So to help with the thought process, I want to go back to that four-word acronym or the four-letter acronym, I should say, that we've talked about in prayer, the, the word ACTS, A-C-T-S. Does anybody remember what A stands for in that acronym? Adoration, okay? What does C stand for? Confession, what does T stand for? Thanksgiving, and what does S stand for? Supplication. Now, if you think about those first, now again, we're talking about the conflict between God as sovereign and God as father, in that we can say, I know he wants to meet my needs, but he already has a will, so why should I pray? What effect does it have? Well, if I think about the first three words that that acronym stands for, adoration, confession, and thanksgiving, there's no conflict there. If I I get down and I pray on my knees and I spend some time in adoration to God, what I'm doing is I'm praising God. I'm simply stopping like you would at a painting or that you would stop at the edge of the Grand Canyon and you look out and you see how beautiful it is and you think you just admire it, you adore it. Well, that's what we should spend time in adoration uh, when we pray to God. We just stop and we consider uh, how much he is that we are not and how amazing he is how incredible, how mighty, how gracious, how loving. We just stop and we think about God, we adore him. Well, there's no contrast there. He is sovereign, I'm simply pointing out his sovereignty. Uh, I can even adore him for being my father. I mean, I can point out the fact that he loves me that much like a father loves his child. Adoration, there's no conflict. Confession, there's no conflict. He's sovereign, he's holy. Uh, I must bring my confession to him and say about my sin... What he says about my sin. And then ask him to forgive me. There's no conflict. I think about then Thanksgiving. There's no conflict here. He's sovereign. He's my father. He meets my needs. He wants to meet my needs. I simply just thank him for what he's done. But then you come to the last one, supplication. And supplication is a petition. It's a request. And that's where the conflict starts to come in our minds because we think, well, if, if he already has a will and he's already sovereign, then I come to him asking and making a request to meet a need. Uh, is, is, this, is this part of praying? Is it conflicted? I mean, God is sovereign. He knows the future. He has a will. Why would I intercede on someone's behalf and ask him to change something if that's not his will or, or change this situation if that's not what he wants? Why would I ask him to change my situation? Again, we're coming down to does prayer have value even deeper Simpler, does prayer work? Does it have an impact? Does it have an effect? I mean, I think we can sometimes operate as if prayer is futile. And by futile, I mean, it's, if it's all going to happen anyway, why should I pray? Almost like a fatalistic approach to prayer. You know, I'm thinking, well, you know, we're all going to die anyway, so I'm just going to eat it at Culver's every meal. Okay. I mean, I'm not saying, well, that wouldn't be good for you. I was going to say Zesto, and that would have been really, really bad for Brother Chad. He's like, we have sal- do you have salad at Zesto? See, they got salad. But you know, you say a fatalistic view of life would say, well, it's all going to end poorly anyway, or it's of no use anyway, so I'm just going to kind of go out with a bang. Well, we look at prayer sometimes like that. It doesn't matter. God has a will. It's gonna, something's going to happen. I'm just going to walk away and let it happen. Or sometimes... I also think that we can sometimes think that we're being a little presumptuous. I mean, if God has a will and he's sovereign, should I pray for something that's not in his will? Because that seems a little presumptuous that somebody like me, I don't know what's best. I don't know what's good. I don't have any plans or, or ideas. I can't change anything. But listen, according to God's word, we are not wrong in praying. As a matter of fact, we're wrong in not praying. And we could look at a lot of reasons why this is true. I think first about all the commands. You know, we're commanded to pray. First Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. Philippians 4, we could go on and on. And I read a bunch of them last week. We're commanded to pray. I also think, well, should I pray? What's the point in prayer? Well, Jesus Christ prayed. So if you think about Jesus Christ being our model, being our example, our prime example of how we should be as Christians and he prayed, then I should too. I think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist prayed, and yet he was a spiritual man, but he prayed. And as a matter of fact, his example of prayer was the very reason that the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray like John teaches his disciples. We have plenty of commands on why to pray. We have plenty of good examples of Christ and John the Baptist and the disciples and all of those we we should pray. It should be a, an important part of the Christian life. As a matter of fact, it should be so natural for us. I've heard some people say that prayer is like breathing. If you're a Christian and you have a relationship with God, prayer should be so natural, it's like you're breathing. It's just part of your life. It's communication with God. In the same way that if you live in a home with a loved one, that it's just natural, unless there's something really conflicted there, it's just natural to have communication. It's natural to have conversation. That's part of having that relationship. Prayer is, should be that natural. Prayer is commanded, we have examples. But that's not really even still, still that's not the question. Can't get it out. The question, again, was, if God is sovereign, what effect does my prayer have? I mean, I know I should, and, I, and I'm just going to trust that, and I'm going to follow Christ's example, and I'm going to follow John the Baptist's example. And I'm just going to do it because I'm supposed to, but I don't want to believe that prayer is just busy work. You know what I mean by busy work, right? I mean, when you were a kid, and, and I know now, now that I have children, and especially a son of my own, I know now the desire to want to give him busy work that doesn't really accomplish much, but it keeps him busy. Because if he's doing work, he's not getting in trouble. And so that's why, as a kid, you know, my dad would have me do things like move these rocks from here to there. And then after I'm done, he's like, oh, you know what? I really wanted them back over there. So back to the original place they go. It's busy work. You know, in school, How many of you kids think sometimes you got too much just busy work in that it doesn't really have anything to do with the subject at hand. They're just trying to keep you busy. Any of you kids like that? Okay, a few of you. Just my kids, that's terrible. Okay, great. Great. Mom says, okay, here's another crossword puzzle. This helps your thinking processes. Busy work. You know, busy work, I think it's probably good sometimes to have the discipline to just do something and get it done. It just, but it just takes up our time, and it, it, But prayer is not busy work. Prayer is no more busy work than when you sit down with your spouse and you have a good conversation with your spouse. And see, a lot of people would say, "Well, that's just that's a waste of time," or you know, "I have other things I need to do." No, no, prayer is much more than busy work. And and if we didn't, if we never saw any effects or changes, or positive things from prayer working, it still wouldn't be busy work because we're communicating with our Father. But it is more than busy work in that it does have effect, and it does make a change, and yes, God is sovereign, but we should pray because it does work, and the first way that prayer works is that it changes us. See, many people believe that the effect of prayer is solely on God, that it's only about Him ...hearing and answering our requests, responding to us. But the act of prayer itself also affects the one praying. It's like the principle I preached the other night... ...about being principled or being pragmatic. And you've got, you, you've got maybe you'll say pragmatics over here... ...and principled over, over here. Pragmatic would say that, that I only do something... ...if I get the result that I want. Pragmatic means that I'm just looking for the right outcome... Principled means that it doesn't matter the outcome, I'm going to operate based on principles because it's the right thing to do. There's a big difference between the two. Well, we would be pragmatists if we said that we should only pray if we get the outcome that we're looking for. That we should only pray if we get the results that we're looking for, that would make us pragmatists. There are certain things that we do for the result, but there are other things that we do simply because the process... Is good for us. I think about exercise. I don't think about it much, but I think about exercise. And just this week, I, I was talking to a couple of guys who we were like, okay, we're going to be good. Let's keep each other accountable. Let's try to do this. And, and not lying, the very next morning, I got invited to go eat at the Brazilian Steakhouse here in Sioux Falls. I think the devil does that. You ever decided I'm going to be really good and to, to, today is the day I'm going to be good. And then some, some satanic friend just brings over like a pound cake. I mean, they've never brought you cake before a big chocolate cake with frosting. They've never brought anything by before, but the devil prompted them. The one day you're like, I'm going to be good. Today's the day. I think that's the way it happens Now. So exercise. Now, we could get to the point where we only exercise if we get the result that we want. If I don't see the number I want to see, then some people are like, if I don't see the number, I'm not doing this anymore. It's, it's, it's pointless. No, it's, it, I know that that can be discouraging, but exercise or eating healthy, we don't just do it because we want to have a certain outcome. We want to do it because it's good for us. I mean, whether or not we see the result that we want or whether or not we meet all the goals that we want. Eating more healthy is good for us. Being active is good for us. And sometimes I think we view prayer like I'm not going to pray if I don't see the result that I want, but the prayer, the act of prayer, the process of prayer, is valuable in and of itself. It kind of takes me back to that acronym again. ACTS. Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. I think about adoration. In prayer, if we're supposed to adore God, uh, hallowed be thy name. We just think about God, we just consider him, and we lift him up, and we admire and we praise him. God, listen, God exists just fine without my praise. Uh, if, If I'm supposed to pray and adore God, and praise God, and worship God, I don't really change anything about God. Now, he may enjoy the sweet smelling savor, the fruit of my lips, as Hebrews calls it, as I praise and I lift up these offerings of praise. He may enjoy that, but it doesn't change anything in him. He is who he is. So, in adoration, in adoration, in that part of my prayer, yes, he deserves it, and yes, that's what, what I should be doing, but it's not changing anything as much as it's changing me. Because as I already mentioned earlier, the act of adoration, the act of just simply adoring God aligns us. Like when you first buy a printer and you've got to send the pages through the printer to make sure that it's aligned so that it'll print straight on the page. And you have to waste a bunch of paper doing it. And it's a pain to do it, but you need to do it so that everything else prints properly. Well, that's what adoration does in our hearts. It aligns us. It reminds us of who we are compared to who God is. It doesn't necessarily, it it probably moves him. We know that he inhabits the praise of his people. When we draw nigh to God, he draws nigh to us. But when we adore God, it doesn't just benefit God, it benefits us. It changes us. It affects our mindsets. It affects our beliefs. It it affects how we view things. So many people believe that praise only affects God, but it affects the one praising. You know, it's kind of like when I spend time with somebody that's better than me at something. And that's not hard to do. I mean, just think about, uh, you know, I've been in situations where when I was working on uh, my degree in music uh, as a music director and, and I, would, I spent lots of time around certain individuals that far surpassed me in their music ability, and their music knowledge and their and their technique and their understanding and their love and their depth and and all the the ways that they approached music and and I would go away from spending time in class around those people um, and I would be I I would feel this big because they far surpassed me but I I would also they will be inspired because I'm thinking I want to be like that I want to think about music in that way. I, I would love to be able to to do what they do with music and, and to compose or arrange or hear these certain things. It was something that, that really inspired me. When we're around somebody that's greater than us like that, it inspires us. And when we adore God, it doesn't just give him something that he enjoys and it's all for him. No, it humbles me and in doing so it inspires me because I get a glimpse about who God really is. When I get a glimpse of his holiness, I want to be holy. I was just praying in my office tonight, and and forgive me for being um, this open, I'm just praying that God would help me to be holy. I want to be holy because God is holy. But if I never took the time to get a glimpse of God's holiness, I wouldn't have much to aspire to. It wouldn't be a big deal to me. But when we take time to adore God it gives us something toward which to aspire. Why pray? Well, because prayer changes us. You can't genuinely communicate with God and not be affected. You can't hang around somebody that's really very great at something or far excels you at something without it having an impact on you. Prayer is not busy work. It's not an assignment from some teacher or from your boss just to keep you occupied prayer changes us the communication with God changes us and I appreciate that even about people in this church in this room that when I'm around them I'm thinking they're so much better at that than me and I'm inspired to be more like that I want to be like that it's the same effect when we pray when we pray to God listen it's not just about well God's going to give me what I want if I pray no in praying I'm changed it's not busy work it's not just occupied work You've probably heard this illustration before, but it really does set the tone for the thought here. You see, a man lived in a house, and there was a huge rock near his home. Gigantic boulder near his home, not far from where he lived. And and it's it's just a story, but the Lord came to him one night and said, I have a task for you. Every day, you will go out to that large rock near your home, and I want you to push it with all your might. So the man, he, he started doing it. The next day he woke up and he's all excited because he has a task from the Lord and he's going to go do it. And with great zeal, he goes up to the rock, a giant boulder near his home, and he starts pushing on it. Well, it doesn't take him long to realize that in pushing it, it's not going to move. It's huge. It's huge. But, you know, the Lord told him the, the task at hand, and so he's, he's going to go do it, and, and so he's pushing on the rock, and he's pushing on the rock, and, and, and he does it all day, and then the sun is going down, and he says, well, I guess that's the end of day number one. So he goes back home, and, and he goes into his house, and he falls into the bed just dead tired. Well, he gets up the next day, and he's not nearly as excited about it now. You know how that works? And he goes out to the rock again, and he's pushing and pushing, and and he eventually gets used to the idea. He doesn't really hear much from the Lord again, but he knows this is the last thing that the Lord told him to do. And so he goes out again, and he pushes on the rock, and and so you know all fall he's out there, and it starts to get cold. So he he dresses up and gets his winter clothes on, and and uh, and he's out there in the cold. And then the he does it all through the winter time. And here comes the. The spring and the the flowers start to bloom and the trees start to grow leaves again. Which, by the way, this time of year, I'm not really a big fan of leaves. But I'll just leave it at that because I've been feel like I've been raking them for a month. But okay, so leaves start to come and he's excited about the change and the warmth and the weather and and so he's still pushing though. Every day he goes out and he just pushes. Summer comes and now he's in the heat. It's not nearly as fun as as the spring and. But he's still pushing and he just pushes and and, and and actually for years this goes on and he just does what God wants him to and, and he goes out and as he does it though, his attitude, attitude starts to change. He's like, I'm not seeing the point of this. So uh, one day then Satan comes along and, and Satan says to him, why, why are you doing this? You're never going to move that rock. And the guy says you know what, you're right. In his mind, he starts thinking, I'm not going to move the rock. It's going to be there for as long as I'm alive, and way past it, it's not going to move. And so he goes back to the Lord and says, um, listen, I'm done. I've worked, and I've worked all this time, and I've been pushing, and, and the rock has not budged, and Lord, I'm sorry, but I have failed. And the Lord says, wait. Wait. I gave you a task to push the rock, but I never said to move the rock. I I mean, and then the guy's, he's probably really starting to think, well, what's going on here? He said, I simply told you to push it. And now here you are, you're thinking that you failed and that you've got nothing left. But he says, but look at yourself. Look at your arms. And he looks at his arms and, and his arms, he hadn't even noticed, but they're much stronger than they used to be it says your back is much stronger and your, your shoulders you're much stronger and, and you've been out in the sun you've been out in the elements and your skin is, is tougher and, and, and you're just a tougher man and look at your hands they're calloused and they're tough and, and your legs are strong see I didn't ask you to go out in there to move the rock all I asked you to do was obey and exercise your faith And trust my wisdom. And you've done it. And then the Lord says, now I will move the rock. See, that illustration so perfectly sums up prayer. See, it's not always about getting the right answer. It's not always about moving the rock. It's not always about getting what to God to do what you want Him to do. It's not always about getting the result. It's not about being pragmatic. It's not about making sure that what you wanted to have get accomplished is getting accomplished as much as it is that it's building your faith in the process. It's not working on God as much as it's working on you. Jude... In verse 20 says, but ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. You realize that when we pray, it's not just about getting the result we want. We get so wrapped up in making sure that God does what we ask him to, that, that if we were just to stop and, and stop thinking about all that we want out of it, and just go through the process of prayer, before too long we'd realize that we've been building ourselves up. We've been building up our own faith, and we look at our arms and we look at our legs and realize I'm not the same Christian I used to be. My faith is stronger. My confidence in God is stronger. The communication that we've had, it's changed me from the inside out. It's built me up. Folks, prayer's not just about moving God. Prayer is about the change that takes place in our lives. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 says this, and I've been quoting this a lot, but be be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I love that verse on prayer. I love that verse about gratitude. I love that verse about thanksgiving. But the next verse says, as we pray in all things, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. It says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The result of our praying, it doesn't say there that if be careful for nothing, but in everything to prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the answers will start to come. No, it says, in the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And it's not even about getting what we want. As much as we realize that in the conversations that we have with God, that it's not about getting what we want, it's about He's all we need. And suddenly our whole concept and mindset about our faith has changed. We submit our will to God as sovereign. But we know that He takes care of everything we need as our Father. And even, in, even if I don't see the end and I don't like the end, the act of prayer changes me from what I used to be. And folks, tonight, we need to be people that no matter what the result is, no matter if we ever see the end, that we go to God in prayer and we pray and we pray and we pray and not because we're knocking importunity, sh- shameless persistence, but because we know the process is good for us. It gives us more faith. It strengthens us. And I know that prayer moves God. I'm thankful that prayer moves God and that he could hear the prayer of his saints and, and want to answer our requests. But in the end, I just need to trust the process. The process of prayer. Listen, prayer moves God but even probably in, this, in, in our application, it's more important for us to remember that prayer changes us. It moves God, but it changes me. It moves God, but it strengthens my faith. And I'm just pushing on that rock, and I don't even know what the end is going to be. It's probably never going to move. But it changes me, and in the end, God comes in and does what I couldn't do. I'm thankful for a truth like that tonight. That prayer changes us. Grateful for Jude 20, building up yourselves in that holy faith as we pray. I'm thankful for Philippians 4, that as we pray, God gives us a peace that passes all understanding. We don't do anything for it. We just pray, and that's that's the result, and I'm grateful. Keep that in mind. And don't consider yourself a prayer failure if the things you're praying for don't come to pass. Because in the end... The faith that, you're, that is being strengthened is worth pushing on that rock. Let's pray. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.